let's give Pastor Danny a great hand as he comes to preach the Word. Wow. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? It's good to not see you. I mean, to see you. <laughs> it's great to be here. And I pray that I can bring something fresh because the church back in Adelaide that I'm based in, because of my age now, every time I preach, I have to start with a dad joke. And I think, I hope I'm worth more than just a dad joke. And if I don't have one, they bring it to me on a coffee cup. And they write it on the coffee cup. Last week was, how do you get the attention of a country girl? A tractor. So, oh. so, so you know, but I, I pray that God can use me more than just dad jokes. I'm very grateful to Jesus today for the fact that I can even stand here. Most of you know, four years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, by the way, good morning, Redcliffe. And uh, pray that you'll be blessed today as we share some time together. And I remember the doctors coming in and saying to my wife and I to get our things in order. And uh, the beautiful thing for me was that within 20 minutes of being told that I had a life-threatening disease, three things happened. Two first was that a peace filled my heart that I cannot describe. It was an incredible peace. I began to cry and my wife said, are you scared? I said, no, I just can't describe this peace. Not only did I feel peace, but I felt that we often talk about the presence of God, but I actually felt him to be present. He was actually present in the room with me. And I could feel it to the point where a nurse came in and said, what's the aura in this room? I had my Bible next to me on my little uh, table thing next to the bed. She goes, you don't still believe in that, do you? And I said, well, actually, have you ever heard of the resurrection? And she goes, the Easter story. I said, yeah, a little bit, the Easter story. And I told her about life beyond this life. And she goes, I'm glad you're telling me that because if you told me my life was going to get 100% better here on earth, I would have got angry at you. My husband left me, my brother died of cancer, and my life's not full of hope right now. But if you tell me it gets better after this one, tell me more about that. The next morning she came into my room. She goes, I've been thinking about what you've been saying. She said, can I give you a hug? And this is in the hospital. And God said, no matter what you go through in life, my presence by me being present, my peace will be with you, but my purpose will never leave you. I didn't need a pulpit. I didn't need a pulpit to do my purpose. And in that hospital room, God showed me and I ended up preaching in the hospital chapel by myself um, with a cameraman to a, an empty room because Pastor Tart Barner in New Zealand rings me and he said, you couldn't do a sermon for our pastor's conference uh, from the hospital. I said, well, I'm, I've only got my pajamas. So Sharon brought me some clothes and I, I began to preach in this room that was just empty chairs. It was just a chapel at St. Andrew's Hospital in Adelaide. And the cameraman starts crying. I start prophesying down the camera. I start crying. I'm prophesying down the camera, pre saying you, some of you pastors are about to be hit with something you never expected. And, and uh, I'm, I'm preaching away. I'm crying. And then the next day, the Christchurch massacre happened in Christchurch. And Pastor Tark rings me and he goes, we're not going to be able to do anything. And says to me, we're going to have to call it all off. There's not enough policemen 
in Christchurch to have gatherings, and so it's all been called off. Now, you've got to listen to this. I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm going, God, um, I thought you gave me a word. I felt your presence when I was speaking. The cameraman was in tears, not because what I was saying was bad, but because, you know, he was being touched by God. And now it's all cancelled. Ladies and gentlemen this morning, or brothers and sisters, whatever we call ourselves these days, friends, the will of God's not always A, B, C, D, E. Sometimes it can go all over the place and that's where your trust in Him has to be such when you don't understand what's going on. My, my greatest act of faith when my son died was, God, I just trust you. And I remember God speaking from heaven into my mind saying, and I trust you. And I go, wow, God, you trust me. What do you trust me with? He said, I trust you to finish your race. To finish your race. It wasn't until six weeks later I get a phone call from Pastor Tark. We're going back to Christchurch. We're doing the conference. We're allowed to have meetings now. And you need to, uh, we went back, sorry, not we're going to, we went back. Started the conference with your message. After the massacre, your message totally made sense. I was getting text messages from people while they were watching it on screen saying, how did you know? And I'm so grateful for the genuine prophetic voice of God that can flow into our lives. And you know, since I handed over my church, which is now 10 years ago, God changed the way I hear things from Him because He equips you for the role He calls you to. And He's called me now to the wider body as a granddad, I suppose, and as a dad, and God speaks to me about the body of Christ. I would like to just take a couple of minutes because time does limit, but tonight I'm going to be sharing a message on how we live with two parts of us. We live with reason us and we live with revelation us. Most Christians over the last four years or during the pandemic slipped into reason rather than living out of revelation. And if I can say it about all of us, we've been a bit of a disgrace in the way we've handled COVID and everything else. And when COVID began, God dropped this into my heart. You judge it because the New Testament says you need to judge these things. God spoke to my heart, I believe. He said, with pandemic, just as it began, he said, there's going to be church leavers. There's going to be church cleavers. There's going to be Christ followers and Christ seekers. Let me explain. Church leavers are people that only did their faith through church. If you don't personally walk with Jesus, you won't purposely walk with church. You need to chew on that one. Church leavers who said, oh, I'll just go online. Last time I checked my New Testament, I find seven false teachers that are going to rise up in the last days. And if we're not in a place of accountability and being taught the Word of God correctly, we'll listen to a thousand voices and none, and we'll go into conspiracy theories and all kinds of things that stop us living in the light, and we end up marrying darkness with darkness. Church cleavers are the people that just want the programs to keep going. Let's keep doing things the way we've always done it. But God is about to unpack a new day. And I prophesy today the best days for the church are ahead of us. Where discipleship's not going to be a program, it's going to be a posture. 
where Christians are going to say, I want to follow Jesus. I don't just want to receive. I want to follow Jesus and I want to give my life to Him. But Christ seekers are brand new people that the current world has disillusioned them and they are searching for Jesus. We better be careful we don't give the wrong Jesus. We need to give them the right Jesus. And right now, every Friday, I meet with six swearing business people in Adelaide who their language is terrible, their, their whole posture, and we meet in a cafe and they just ask me questions. If God is a God of love, why did your son die? I remember God giving me words from Scripture when my son died, so what I do is I open my phone and I show the Scriptures to these unsaved people. Go read that. What do you think? And one guy goes, oops, I won't mention the word. He goes, there must be a God. There must be a God. We've been meeting for over a year now and my son runs a charity in Port Adelaide and feeding the poor, over 2,000 a week now that they're feeding in the community and we put on lunch for these six business guys and while we're having lunch, I said to Michael, can you just go over to the piano with your wife and just start worshipping? So they went over to the keyboard, just background music, the guys thought and as they started to sing, one of these big biker, big a handlebar moustache guy, a German engineer, starts crying his eyes out. He goes, I can feel something in this room. Let me tell you, we need authentic church to be our goal as we move forward. And so today, I want to encourage us that we're moving into the greatest change. The church is emerging. I wrote that and forgot that your name is Emerged Church. Is emerging into our greatest days our best days of influence. And so for a few moments, I want to speak on I believe in the God of the afterlife. I believe in the God of the afterlife, but it might not be what you're thinking. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In His kindness, God has called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, He will restore, support, <clears throat> and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. I believe in the God of the hereafter. He's the God who's hereafter our discouragements. He's the God who's hereafter our disappointments. He's the God who's hereafter life doesn't make sense for a period of time. Before I go any further, I need to say I feel the pain every day. I miss my son more now than I did right at the beginning as I watch his children grow up without their dad. His son was 14 when his dad went to heaven. He's about to turn 21. And to watch the hand of God on his life, he's in Pastor David Hall's church now, on the staff there working, sitting with me and we're sharing our revelations together. Tears fill my eyes with joy, but there's pain. I walk with a limp, but I can promise you today, that he's the God of the hereafter. He's hereafter the sadness. He's hereafter the pain. After Joseph spends time in prison, he becomes prime minister. After Job experienced much suffering and loss, God restores blessing and favour back to his life. It didn't look the same as before, but there was blessing and favour. After a woman is judged for her adultery, she's promised an afterlife of wholeness. After Ezekiel stands in front of an army of dry bones, you know, a, a valley, sorry, of dry bones, an army stands up. You see, God is the God of the afterlife. We don't have to waste our corona. 
after the coronavirus, God is still on the throne. And in the midst of it, he's still on the throne. And if John can be on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation and be in the spirit on the Lord's day in the midst of an island of mad people, then Christianity in the Western world needs a bit of a lift. I believe we need a sift, shift and lift. God wants to sift the church so he can shift the church, so he can lift the church. I'm not having a go at anyone other than I'm saying let's have the afterlife of what God has called us to. Because I believe, I'm not just saying it loosely, the best days for the church are ahead of us. It may look a little different. After I had cancer, I remember I was in hospital, St. Andrew's Hospital for many, many, I was there in and out for nine months. I'd received a phone call from Zurich from a pastor called Leo Bigger. He says to me, Danny, can you come and speak at our youth, at our conference? It's predominantly youth and, and uh, there's about 4,000 uh, young people. And by the way, I'm 66 and next week I'm doing a youth camp and I'm going, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I felt I needed to go. I prayed and I felt this urge to go, but now I'm back in hospital. I'm supposed to fly on Friday. I'm still in hospital Wednesday. I was released Thursday morning and my wife goes, you are nuts, you are crazy. My daughter's going, dad, please don't do this. Two days to Zurich and back. But I knew I had to go, I just knew. I said to Sharon, if the Lord takes me, he takes me, but I've got to do this. There's a supernatural reason. While I am flying to Zurich, and I'm in the air, the worship pastor, a young lady of 35 years of age, for the conference, dies. I land in Zurich to a group of men waiting for me with sadness in their eyes. They said, we got to tell you something. The lady that was going to lead our worship passed away yesterday or during the night while you were flying. Will you please not preach on what you were going to preach and tell us how to handle grief and pain? Two days later, I got home, back into hospital. And I thought, Wow. A friend of mine from Sydney goes, why didn't God heal you? You're doing his work. Why didn't he heal you? And my Bible reading the next morning was in Galatians. And Paul says, I'm glad you didn't reject me when I came to you and I was sick. When I brought you the good news. How does good news and sick live together? See, we think the good news is everything goes right. But the good news for me is God is in everything. No matter what happens, and there can be a life after all those things. So it was about, we're doing good for time. It was about 17, 18 years ago. I was in Melbourne. Now, my desire has never been to be a good preacher. I just want to be a good reacher. Sometimes we can have good alliterated sermons and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's never been my desire. God, what are you saying and how can I pass it on? It says in Luke chapter 12, it says, be careful of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I looked up the word hypocrisy. It means to be an actor on a stage. I don't want to be an actor on a stage because we impart who we are, not information. And what I'm sharing with you today is so deep in me because it was 17 years ago and I was in Melbourne speaking at an apostolic conference and God said there's seven shakings coming. Now remember, 17 years ago. They're in the book of Hebrews. I went and read Hebrews chapter 13 and God revealed to me seven shakings. Over the last few years, I've watched every one of them happen. 
But you know what? God never shakes to hurt. He shakes to heal. He doesn't shake because he's mad. He shakes because he wants to mend. And I believe with all my heart today as I look at this and look at Corona and everything we're going through, and I think, thank you, God, you go ahead of us. Thank you, God, you prepare for us a better way. The God of the afterlife that we're having now. And in Hebrews 12, 28, it says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Did you hear that? It's unshakable. Do you know all this deconstruction carry on at the moment around the world? People deconstructing their faith. I don't know what I believe anymore. Christianity sucks and I'm leaving. As if God is worried about that. It doesn't stop God being God because you're having your issue. I'm into reconstruction. Oh, sorry, deconstruction. Well, what are you reconstructing? They used to say years ago, you Christians are brainwashed. I said, absolutely. We just choose who washes our brains. But right now, People are listening to a thousand voices and have no conviction of what they own and carry. When my son died, it wasn't sermons that kept me going, except one, and it was my own. And it was one of the first sermons I preached. And I said, God, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. He goes, well, I said, where can I go? Who can help me? He goes, well, what about listening to the sermons you preach to everybody else? Because if they don't work for you, they won't work for anybody else. I went to a box of old sermons, one of the very first sermons I preached back at Paradise many, many years ago. And it was the first one in a box of written by hand messages. Stay in the ship in the midst of a storm. Five things Paul told people on a boat when they were going to Rome and about to be shipwrecked. And as I read through every one of those points, I got on my knees next to my bed and I said, God, give me the grace to live out all those points. I've discovered in the last four years a new counsellor. It's called me. I counsel myself. We've got to become self-counsellors. Sometimes we go and get help from everybody, but that's secondhand information. But that which God reveals to you can sustain you. And my non-negotiable convictions, and I want to say this this morning, after Chris passed, I realized I'm okay with a thousand questions I don't have answers for. Because when I was younger, I tried to find the answers to things I'd never get answers for. So when my non-Christians friend go, but what about this? I said, I don't know. But can I tell you the five things I do know? Can I tell you the things that are not negotiable in my life? Put a gun to my head and these are non-negotiables. And they are the ones I live my life on. Is the Antichrist in the injection? Who cares? Is the, are we living, and we're spending all our energy chasing these things rather than shining to the world at this time with the things that are not negotiable in our lives because we're not walking with teachings. We're walking with the teacher, Christ himself, with our non-negotiable convictions. Sorry, I'm getting a bit worked up. Here are the seven shakings. They're found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. God said to me, friendships are going to be shaken. People are going to leave churches, join other churches. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. <laughs> Christians getting offended. Some of what we call church growth is just transfer growth with people going from one place to another because they got hurt. 
Last time I checked, the version of the Bible I was reading at the time says, continue, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. God spoke to me and said, people are going to lead some churches in groups because their friends, their friends get offended. They get offended on their friend's behalf. See, friendships in the Bible should connect, should comfort, should carry, but should also confront, should also correct, and should continue. And I know it's God because it all starts with C. Okay. The first shaking is the way we do our one anothering. You cannot do church on your own. That's why doing church forever online, you destroy all the one anotherings in the Bible. Because our gifts are not given to us for us. Our gifts are given to us for others. The minute we become Christians, our focus should be others, which is the second shaking, the focus. It goes on, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison if you were there yourself. Remember all those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. The focus of the church is changing. And I want to say it's fantastic what I know God's going to do. He's taking us back to the great commandment and the great commission. And if you've got 5,000 people in your church and you're doing that, great. You've got 20 people in your church and doing that, great. The focus is not going to be about bottoms on seats. The focus is going to be on the great commandment and the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. The great commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind. We cannot do God in the second person. And as a father in the faith, my passion is to help young people to find Jesus themselves, to walk with Jesus themselves, to love Jesus with all their heart. I've got some bikers. I've got this guy covered in tats right now. It's become one of my sons in the Lord and he is rough and he will ring me up at two o'clock in the morning. But let me tell you, I will say to him, you need to do this. And he goes, I don't think I could do that. He goes home, opens his Bible and the very thing I just said shows up in scripture. He rings me back. He goes, you're not gonna believe what I just read. Because discipleship's not just gonna be a program. It's gonna be proximity in the spirit of community. And so the great commandment and the great commission, number three, fidelity is going to be shaken. The spirit of faithfulness has left the Western world in many places. The amount of Christians who are breaking up their marriages right now in this country is scary. And I sit every Tuesday and do six hours of counseling at the church that I work in. And for the last few months, wives have come in and said, I've had enough. He's boring. He's a nice guy, but I think I just need to find me now. I said, well, you're standing right in front of me. I can tell you where you are, but, you know, I don't say that. I've got to find me. And the spirit of fidelity, the Bible says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. This is the New Testament. We have an infidelity problem. But I don't believe it's just a natural one. It's a spiritual one. We're not faithful in friendships. We're not, we get hurt. We have woke culture sometimes in God's world of cancelling people. And I'm not listening to them anymore. And I'm not having anything to do with them. But you know what? God is changing all that. And he's shaking it. And I'll tell you why in just a second before we finish. Number four, he's shaking finances. Now, this is 17 years ago. And we went through the financial crisis since then. 
Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can mere people do to me? God told me to hand over my church. I thought that was good because I thought, well, the church will still pay me and I can go out and do things. And they were. Until a year later, he says, you've got to stop taking the money now. I go, I'm too old now, God. I talked to Sharon. She goes, are you sure that's God and not the devil? And we stepped out in faith and walked away from a salary. God gave me a message. Get back to where you started. Wow. When God called us into the ministry, we didn't ask how much we were going to be paid. When Pastor Fred, who's here today, came into the menswear store I was working in and said, God's got a call on your life. We'd like to invite you onto our team. I didn't say, well, what's the deal? How much are you going to pay me? It was an honor just to say yes. It was an honor to say, Jesus, I'll do it. Now I'm 57 at the time. And God says, give it up. I remember going to a conference. Sharon said, you need to go. I said, I can't afford it now. Church used to pay for it. (laughs) I turn up at the conference. And within 20 minutes, three different people came to me. Said, God's woken us up in the night. We were hoping we'd bump into you in the foyer of the conference. A businessman from Tasmania who'd been to hell and back with illness and his wife and him nearly died. Said, God spoke to my wife and I that we need to give you $10,000 a year towards your ministry. Five minutes later, a pastor from Melbourne comes up to me and goes, God's been speaking to me. Our church is going to support you $10,000 a year. Ten minutes later, somebody else came up. God's been speaking to my wife and I. We were hoping we'd bump into you. We're going to support your ministry $10,000 a year. I thought to myself, I'm going to stand here all day. I'm just going to stay here all day. That was $30,000. And I went home and I said, Sharon, I'm glad you sent me to that conference. I'm glad you heard from God. And that was quite a few years ago now. And God has been faithful. Because it's never about a love of money. It's about a love of God. When God says, seek first my kingdom, it doesn't mean he puts us last. Seek my kingdom first. So what does God put you last? He puts you first. When we surrender our lives to him, our lives get extended. And I'm so grateful for that today. Number five, our fellowship. How we follow. Verse seven, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Not leaders that, you know, were just trendy and cool, but taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives And follow the example of their faith, not their fashion. Follow the example of their faith. Fashion's good too, but I'm not having a go at it. But sometimes we follow a trend rather than a truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now listen, as Pentecostals, I'm as guilty as any. We can take Scripture out of context pretty easily. How many times have we put on the wall, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? but he's also forever changing. You've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. In the context, it's saying we need to be people under godly covering, and that principle never changes, no matter what era or country we live in, 
for Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. When we read it, in people have that on their wall and say, well, I don't go to any church. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it's just me and him in the lounge room. And we take scripture out of context. Number six, our faith. By the way, God's looking for biblical loyalty, not blind loyalty. We're supposed to submit to leaders that teach us the word of God. And we need to test that. I will never give any leader blind loyalty, but I'll give them biblical loyalty. And you'll never go down the place of control when you have that posture. Number six, faith. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Our faith is being shaken. We've had too much preaching about down here. Solomon tried down here. He tried everything under the sun. And in the Hebrew, he says it all sucketh. That's what he said in the Hebrew. Guess what? He never tried anything above the sun. I've tried everything under the sun. And I think of our preaching the gospel. In the Bible, eternity was the promise right up front. You're going to suffer for a while. You're going to go through stuff, but hang in there because we have an eternal promise. We spend less time talking about eternity now than, than oh, listen, man. Anyway, you get me off, off course. Our faith is being shaken so it becomes eternal. God is shaking our faith so we focus on what really matters. And since my son passed, we went to his home shortly after he passed. And all over his house were scriptures on eternity. The last message he was going to preach was the day he died. He left the notes on the seat of his car. Going to speak Friday night at the youth camp. I've got the notes with me here. I was going to put them on screen, but I reckon I would have lost it and I wouldn't have been able to pick up the beating. So his last words were, there are storms out there. What is your God perspective? What's going to get your attention? Keep your eyes on eternity. He died that afternoon. I met with him three days before he died because I was burdened. Couldn't shake him off my mind. And as I sat with him in the car, I said, Chris, what do you think your future is? He goes, I have no clarity on the future, Dad. All I do is keep my eyes on eternity. I know God's got this. Three days later, he was gone. Oh, I live with it, I wish. I wish I could have. But I'm so glad that this teaching hasn't come to us after he died because we're in pain. It's a revelation. And so number seven is our function. I prophesy today that volunteering and serving in the life of the church is not going to be something we're going to have to ask for. When we get hold of God in this new era, we'll be saying, what can I do? God, what can I do? Where can I serve? I'm talking to pastors all over Australia that are tired. I'm dealing right now with some that have resigned. It's really sad and people are spiritually tired. But it's not the end. It's the beginning. And God's about to put the spirit of the volunteer back on the church. People are going to get hungry to serve Jesus because you shouldn't serve the church. You should serve Jesus through the church. We serve Jesus through the church. So I'm doing really good if the musicians can come back. That's just to make people feel we're heading for an end, but no, no, no.
There we are. I do believe there's life hereafter. After all the stuff the church has gone through in the Western world, after all the scandals, you don't want to go on YouTube. You know, you probably will now that I said that, but you know, and look at all the scandals in America around the place, and Christians use it as an excuse to give up. I want to use it as an excuse to grow up and grow up and say, God, let's get back to the model. Let's get back to the pattern. And so the other day I was in prayer reading these seven shakings and I could give you major illustrations out of each shaking, but this is what I wrote in my notes. God shakes to heal, not to hurt. The shaking's for the making. He shakes our friendship so we understand biblical unity. He shakes our focus so we get clarity. He shakes our fidelity so we understand loyalty. He shakes our finances so we live with integrity. He shakes our follow-up or followship so we have accountability. He shakes our faith so we work from eternity. And He shakes our function because we are people of responsibility. We've been given gifts by God. Do you know, this is just coming into my head now, but... In Matthew 25, when the guy buried his talent under the ground, he was called wicked. Today in the modern church, we call faithful what God calls wicked. Hey, I just hung on to my gift. Hey, I buried it and I just looked after myself. It was called wicked. Because faithful equals fruitful. And there are three evidences, which is coming to my head now, three evidences of being a disciple of Jesus. Fruit. Love and continuance. John chapter 13. By this shall all men know your churchians? No. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By the way you love each other. The church should have been so united through COVID and we became divided. How sad. But it can get better. John 15, I've ordained you to bear fruit. Fruit. This is why how people will know you're my disciples by your fruit. Love, fruit, and if you remain in me and I remain in you, we'll bear much fruit, lasting fruit, and we will finish our race strong. You know, we're citizens of heaven and we're only on planet earth for a little while. But you know what? We don't come from here. We come from eternity we live from eternity and we should have our home's accent. I've shared about my dad here before. He's still talking like this, you know. Hello. How you, Mark? You say hello to Mark and Nina for me. You talk like that. Now, when my father talks like that, you're not going to think he's Chinese. His accent gives him away. It shows where he comes from. But it's not just his accent, it's his culture. Tomatoes in the front garden. Different landscaping. Growing his vegetables in the front garden. There used to be a valiant in the shed, but that's gone. You don't smell dim sims when you walk into his house. You smell red sauce. Why? Because his culture and his language are from home even though he's been in Australia 67 years or whatever. I want to say this. 
We need to have the accent of home. And God's bringing the accent of heaven back to us. And I want to tell you the greatest days for the church are here after all the stuff we've been through. Have faith, be strong, trust and get going because good days are ahead. God bless you. Mark can fix all my mistakes.